एंड वी आर लाइव हेलो एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ सस्टेनेबली योर्स द पॉडकास्ट डिमिस्टिफाइंग द इफेक्ट्स ऑफ क्लाइमेट चेंज एंड देयर मिटिगेशन आई एम किनशुक एंड आई एम जॉइंड बाय माय कोहोस्ट तानिया हाय तानिया हाय किनशुक द वर्ल्ड पॉपुलेशन विल रीच 10 बिलियन बाय 2050 अ ग्रोइंग कंसर्न इज हाउ टू मीट द प्रोटीन रिक्वायरमेंट ऑफ दिस एक्सपैंडिंग पॉपुलेशन We are already seeing the political ramifications of some of these issues. UAE has bought land in the USA to grow alfalfa for its cattle population to conserve on their precious water on their side of the world. Imagine how some of the people in the US are reacting today. Even today, the world has 1 billion cattle, 25 billion chicken and almost 1 billion pigs. I can imagine us kings like humans and the entire battalion of cattle and chicken and pigs following. UN has been stressing on leveraging the unutilized source of protein, insects. Insects produce a lot of protein very efficiently, but I don't know much about it. So let's understand from an expert how can we use insects to fill this protein gap. Our guest for the day Ankit Alok Bagaria is addressing this growing need for animal food with his startup Loopworm. Loopworm is an agri-biotechnology company that takes inspiration from nature to convert organic waste into valuable products promoting health, nourishment and well-being for all forms of life. Loopworm is currently focused on producing alternative sustainable protein and fats for shrimp feeds, poultry feeds and pet foods. Ankit is a dual degree graduate from the Indian Institute of Technology Roorkee with a BTech in chemical engineering and an MTech specialization in computer aided process plant design. He's a state level table tennis player as well. Hi Ankit, welcome to the podcast. Hi Tanya, thank you for having me. Ankit, what got you into agritech and can you explain in simple terms what Loopworm does and what was your inspiration behind setting it up? So Loopworm is my second startup uh, my first startup called AgroSnap like way back when I was in the college was also in agritech where we were capturing images of the leaves and determining fertilizer inputs to the soil not the same domain not biotech it was a lot of uh, precision agriculture and electronics a lot of image processing in it it didn't work out unfortunately but then Loopworm came in so the love for agritech persists Loopworm came into play because I and my co-founder wanted to do something in the organic byproducts or organic waste segment. We were already working on three projects on plastic, paper and flower waste upcycling like back in 2018, 2019. And that's where we realized that like we wanted to address the elephant in the room. Organic waste is 50% of our waste. Let's just hit that. Because the current solutions like say composting or biogas generation is not just scaling up these are age old solutions uh, it's not solving the issue so there has to be an upcycling mechanism for organic waste and that's how we stumbled upon insects by going through a united nations report stating insects are the future of food and feed which beautifully stated that india is well poised to dominate the world in this space because we have a tropical climate that insects love insects are nature's scavengers so we have abundance of food waste and organic byproducts that we can use to feed them and we have a very cheap and frugal cost structure with lesser cost for land labor and utilities so if you are in the primary and the secondary sector space with the climate supporting you with the raw material availability in abundance 
it's a very good space to be in and you are solving two problems here it's not just the protein problem so like you said insects are nature's host of a lot of good biomolecules like they are very nutritious with good fats good proteins but what they are also solving is the waste management issue that we are currently facing so what we are in turn trying to create is a circular economy solution where waste comes in as a raw material and protein goes out right and ultimately the waste comes from our food system so we are trying to create a more sustainable food system here and that is how the love for insects began that's amazing because the global wastage of food itself is so high you know that doesn't even account for a lot of wastage that how we throw food or how do we dispose our waste every day so it's basically upcycling something which otherwise meant zero value or negative value actually to the ecosystem correct i totally agree how does it work with loopworm like what happens there can you explain that so in loopworm what we do is we target food processing industries we procure food waste from them or organic byproducts from them for us it's a raw material for us it's not waste like we are procuring it and ultimately we pre-process the food waste and convert it into a nutritionally balanced wheat stock for the insects that we are cultivating we cultivate the black soldier fly larvae they are voracious eaters of food waste and grow 5000 times in a span of 12 days so like they they very efficiently convert the food waste into their own food even the poop like that is released or say the leftover substrate which is there is an organic fertilizer so nothing goes to waste and ultimately the system is that you have you need to have a breeding mechanism where the flies of this insect they breed they lay the eggs then you collect the eggs you take it to an incubation system where you incubate the eggs let them to hatch you have to take control of the mortalities here because the baby insects are really vulnerable to mortalities and then you basically transfer them to a vertical insect farm so imagine milk crates being stacked on top of each other with like optimum amount of food waste or the feedstock and the optimum amount of baby insects which go in to feed on the feedstock that we have provided ultimately like in 12 days time and we have 12 parallel cycles going so that the production is continuous you get inch long insects or inch long insect larvae which is ready to get sterilized cleaned up before it gets processed so like we clean it up we sterilize it and ultimately put it in our proprietary processing mechanism where we use no chemicals to extract the proteins and the fats and ultimately these proteins and the fats are then packaged and would be shipped to feed manufacturers feed manufacturers being people who make shrimp feeds dog foods poultry foods etc so those would be supplied with our ingredients so we are ultimately a b2b company both on our supply side and our demand side as well understood so larvae is one thing which gets created and then you process it for sale to the feed manufacturers correct are there other products that come out of this process not as of now we are taking it one step at a time we want to create a business in the animal nutrition space like grow there stabilize it ongoing r&d is there where we are targeting four other products for different industries it could be cosmetics nutraceuticals we can do biopharma but depends on what kind of quality we get of those products and ultimately then those quality parameters would be matched to the end applications so yeah every two years or three years or so we should have like at least a couple of products that we can launch in the market we would still be b2b we would still be in the ingredient space we don't want to hit the end consumer what is there in today's animal feed that you are replacing with 
this larvae byproduct. So, just explain to our listeners what does it consist of today and where does that come from and how are we making this process better with loopworm. Globally, I'll just hit with some numbers or start with some numbers. Like 5.5 billion people are dependent on animal-based proteins for their staple protein diets and 2 billion people are dependent on fish. So, 2 billion people are dependent on fish as the staple form of proteins. And ultimately, you need food to feed these animals who are giving you food as well. And that's where the problem starts. Like poultry and aquaculture is growing at around 8-10% CAGR. We are expected to have two times more pets in 2030 than we have today. And where do this food come from? That, that basically creates the problem. So you need the proteins, the carbohydrates, the fats, all the vitamins and minerals to feed these animals, just like we feed ourselves, right? And here the proteins and the fats become very important ingredients because that is where the crunch in the entire ingredient space comes in. So all the conventional ingredients, whether it is plant-based or animal-based, right, has some dependence on the natural resources that we have. So consider soya bean. 97% of the soya bean is being used in animal nutrition and not for humans. So it's only 3% for humans. Wow, okay. That's a great data point. Yeah. So if this 97% is basically being used only for animals, we are using that arable land and that potable water to basically grow the food for the animals who are giving us food rather than growing food for us directly. And based on my earlier data points, animal agriculture is not going away. The world is heavily dependent on animal-based proteins. Veganism is just at the beginning of what it is, right? And a lot of these cultures across the world, they cannot accept veganism. Like it's, it's basically a personal choice rather than something where there is, can be a cultural shift in the entire eating behaviors of people. So like what happens is soya bean, like I told you, is dependent on land and water. We need to cultivate it and then feed it to our animals. So in the, in the entire agriculture process of soya bean, we are releasing emissions. We are polluting groundwater with fertilizers. Then again, like feeding it to the animals who are not very efficient in terms of converting it into food again. So like ultimately a cow cannot give you 1 kg in and 1 kg out of food, right? So it would basically take in 10 kgs of food and just convert it into 2 kgs of food for us. And ultimately what we believe is if we are replacing these conventional ingredients and that's where a more sustainable food system would come in. Because you're feeding the animal something else, something which is a reject of your food system and ultimately using the same natural resources to grow food for ourselves directly. That is from the plant-based angle. But if you look at aquaculture, which is farmed fisheries, right? So th there is a fish in fish out mechanism there. So what I mean by that is you go into the wild marine ecosystems, seas and the oceans. Say, for example, you go to the Arabian Sea, you will catch Indian oil sardines from there. You'll bring it to, say, a Bangalore port and ultimately extract the oil from it which comes into our cod liver oil and ultimately whatever is left out is a powder which is defatted and protein rich which is called fish meal m-e-a-l meal which is basically a defatted protein concentrate now the problem is 90 percent of our seas and oceans are now overfished the world is producing 4.5 million tons of fish meal we can go to 5 million tons of fish meal but the demand is going to be around 6.5 billion tons of fish meal by 2030. So how do you bridge that 2 million tons of demand, that extra demand, which is going to come in? Because aquaculture is not stopping. The demand of fish is not stopping. It's one of the leanest sources of protein. It's very rich in all, a lot of amino acids and like good source of fats as well. So ultimately, people are seeing it as a very nutritious form of uh, proteins and fats. 
So it is not getting stopped. It is basically increasing. And that is where we come in, where insects are the natural food for fish and birds, right? So feeding the shrimps, feeding our fish, the chicken, right? You can also feed pigs and goats and cattle and horses, everything with insect proteins and fats. And like convert the food waste into insects, the insects getting converted into food for animals who give us food and ultimately replacing these conventional forms of ingredients which are stressing our natural resources. That's very clear and thank you for explaining this in such great detail. You're absolutely right that suddenly it's not like everyone will say that, you know, let's give up meat or fish and at times it's also cultural like you said, right? I mean, Food is such a big part of human culture. And there is climate justice angle as well, that the population that requires protein the most, we may be denying protein to those people because of what has happened in the past. So this is something which has to happen. And I think eventually there will be many different solutions. There will be big veganism as well. But then this also has to be there as an option. right? So thanks for explaining that in great detail. But tell me this, like I tried uh, insects in China the first time and then I tried insects in Vietnam the first time and my friends avoided me for one day completely saying Ki, you have eaten insects and we don't, be, don't want to be around you. Now there is this yuck factor associated with insects in today's culture. I mean some cultures and some tribes have been using and still use insects as a part of their food and, and they are completely okay with it. But the modern civilization per se looks down upon this. Have you faced this challenge in your business and, and how have you handled it? Actually not, to be very honest, uh, because we are trying to feed it to animals who are giving us food. Most of the people, if you speak to them, they don't even know what a chicken or a fish is fed, right? And like sometimes they don't even care what are they being fed. So they only care about their pets. They do care about their pets. Correct. Right. So like in, in terms of what a dog is being fed or what a cat is being fed, if you're basically raising it, people do care about them a lot, but they have limited choices there as well. So the yuck factor doesn't come to our way. It actually like it's the other way because like the farmers in itself, they themselves, they realize that insects are the best food for fish and birds. They were meant to eat insects. They were not meant to eat soybean or maize or whatever we are feeding them. It was for our convenience to get those eggs and meat, right, uh, that we started feeding them soybean and maize. And it was scalable. So no, no doubt soybean has been revolutionary for the entire animal agriculture industry, just like palm oil has been for the entire food processing and cosmetic sector. So sustainability has to come with a solution. And that is where like uh, people blindly questioning these ingredients is, is not right. Because what, what solution do you have if you want to just shut palm oil, right? You, you don't have any solutions, right? Would you stop using the cosmetics? Would you stop using the food products that you are eating currently? No, right? And there is no other choice. Like how do you basically get those volumes in place without palm oil, without soya bean, when it comes to say the products that I spoke about, right? So the yuck factor is not there. In our case, uh, just another fact, 1.3 billion people across the world consume insects. So it's, it's not a small population. So it's a small population in India because and also we are very away from those populations. So it's basically the northeast where 130 types of insects are being eaten as food. And there's an ant chutney which is famous in Karnataka, right? Uh, so that's, that's India for you and it's very limited. But Southeast Asia, it's a delicacy. Farmed crickets are more expensive than the most expensive chicken in Thailand. China, it's a delicacy. South America, 
even the scandinavian countries are adopting it now so yeah that actually is a positive sign like if you look at the insect based companies in the world you will find like 50 in what we are doing and you will find like 500 in say insect based chips pastas crisps nachos cakes etc etc and the food innovations have not just begun right so if, if, if just imagine the amount of food innovations which can come in with such a like a nutrient dense food there are ways to change the taste profile of for food like if you don't know about it like you can basically like just use soya bean and convert it into a chicken tasting substance by adding certain organic molecules right so you can do it with insects as well right if it tastes like chicken and if you are not bothered about it being insects right then it's a cheaper form of protein because it's already nutrient dense and then ultimately like what would happen is people would start realizing their benefits so if I, if i give you historical evidences right it was back in china right people started like consuming cockroaches and cultivating them as well because they wanted to solve respiratory problems because cockroaches have uh, dissolvable iodine in them right so it was a biopharma ingredient again silkworm pupa was being used to solve fatty liver issues because it has those natural liver detoxifying agents or basically something that like increases the efficiency of liver functioning which basically was used in chinese medicines or chinese ayurveda if you can call it our country it's basically plants and dairy and honey and we stick to it right but like we have basically avoided half of the good things in the world by avoiding animals there and that's where these foreign cultures come into play i sometimes give it a read as well it's a difficult thing to find but yes you do get inspiration of what can be done right imagine vaccines being made using insects right and that is what we see the the foreseeable future maybe youpharm would not do it but some company here and there right who are like focused and motivated to do it can do it and that that's the beauty of insects wow that's very interesting thank you thank you for sharing this so i mean if you read articles online I mean, everywhere insects are being hailed as the next big source of protein right and uh, the sustainable source of protein for the future how quickly do you think uh, what's your guesstimate that a country like india will adopt it as animal nutrition now but uh, as human nutrition maybe later so it like bringing it to the conventional human nutrition space is going to take time right and it's not the right market right we are culturally not fit our generation is basically who is the one who is experimenting with their foods and before that it was a lot of uh, conventional orthodox and religious beliefs guiding our uh, food habits so like now we are questioning them i am the first meat eater in my family so my generation basically and that basically is increasing so even if the population is is increasing the meat consumption is not increasing at the population increment rate it's growing beyond that like uh, new people are basically getting converted to being non vegetarians the same way people are getting converted to veganism right giving away dairy and any animal based product for that matter the same way new people are coming to the animal agriculture the say animal based uh, products domain as well so maybe in like india is still behind and like we don't mind that like we can extract a number of products from insects for different industries which is not going to go inside a human right but you can make uh, shampoos from it so the ingredients that we have you can uh, basically convert it into surfactants lubricants right you can get into oleochemicals so a hell lot of products can be developed from the ingredients that we are creating because it's another fat if you look, come to think of it from a very scientific standpoint it's a high quality protein 
it's a high quality fat just keep the source aside for some time and look at it from a chemical source standpoint right and then it starts making sense but like what we can do and where india can excel like i told you we have very frugal cost structures we have abundance of raw material so insect agriculture can be huge in india and what we can do is produce in india sell across the world just like we did it with shrimps right 80% shrimp cultivation in india is exported right to other countries mostly china and us so we had no shrimp culture in india before 2008 it was just wild shrimps being cultivated here and there on the coastal areas but 2007-8 white legged shrimps came in and we are now like second or third largest exporter in the world it took was 10 years 12 years to reach us there and starting from zero and that's what uh, we can do with insects as well we do have a lot of good talent here in india because uh, sericulture which is silkworm farming is an age old practice here apiculture which is honey bee farming is still there people realize the importance of earthworms for vermicomposting tree wonder insects you are already recognizing and there are dedicated institutes on each one of these so you do have talent there so why cannot it be a black soldier fly or some other insect which is useful for us and like that is where i feel that it just has to be that uh, thrust from our end that yes there can be a good business that you can build around insects and people would definitely pick it up uh, so you know while you you were talking about the shrimp cultivation industry in india growing so fast right but with that growth came also came a lot of problems we've heard of breeding in disastrous conditions so lot of inbreeding or uh, diseases etc right so that also is of course probably a result of how quickly it had needed to scale up how will insect cultivation fee be different and are you sure that it won't run into that kind of problem it depends on how you do it you can basically do deforestation and cultivate uh, your crops and that is also disastrous right so doing plant or animal or something else doesn't basically prove that it is going to be disastrous or not it's the practices that we adopt which is basically going to either help us solve it or enhance it further right and and that is where so consider shrimps right so if you look at shrimp breeding it is done in house like it is not done in natural resources or natural ecosystems similarly insects that we are cultivating would entirely be in house so we are not going to use any natural resources there we would have our own cultures not dependent on nature we would do our own breeding our own insect cultivation and we'll ensure that not even a single fly goes out of our facility because we don't want to disrupt the natural ecosystem because insects being on the lower rung of our food system right uh, so if there are more insects then the predators of those insects are going to increase as well right so you can expect more lizards and more birds right uh, coming in and more frogs coming in if there are more insects in the ecosystem and then even their predators would increase right so you can expect more snakes there right and that is going to be a nonsense for us and that is where you need not uh, so you cannot and you should not like uh, just mass cultivate insects and throw them in the atmosphere because it is going to disrupt the entire ecosystem and there are case studies like if you look at it there has been multiple case studies across the world where like what people did was just 10 rabbits in a forest basically made it a rabbit hub right because the rabbits uh, they they reproduce like four to six times in an year and like so the population multiplication is rapid 
there and smaller the animal more rapid is the multiplication so you cannot take that chance in terms of diseases and all black soldier fly currently is known to have no pathogenic contamination as such like we have not experienced it but like it can definitely come uh, so it can definitely come scientific community always keeps on evolving right and like so there is an extent to which you can predict something right we were not able to predict a corona like event right and that is for us humans right so predicting it for animals becomes or if insects becomes even more even more difficult and what we have focused on entirely as a nation is regard insect as pests just shoo them away or kill them so the reverse talent is there right but but you need people who are pro insects as well in terms of cultivating them growing them solving their diseases so just to take an example right silkworm experiences a disease called pibrine and like people have found a solution there there are bed disinfectants for silkworms so solutions do come but it takes time and it takes that initiative so like uh, so my my personal motivation to come to different podcasts is basically to educate the crowd right more and more people should get into it because we cannot solve everything ourselves we have a restriction in terms of how much legs we can spread right and ultimately we would need to collaborate with other people in the people in the industry to take this forward but uh, yeah it's about like keeping yourself conscious enough by not knowingly doing something unknowingly a lot of things can happen right but knowingly if you are creating a disruptive system this is not good for the environment or not good for people's health or for animal health uh, that's not good unknowingly a lot of things can happen and that is how evolution occurs Ankit is a black soldier fly is that native to india yeah it is uh, native to india what is it called in hindi that's the fly um, that you'll get in compost yeah 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 so like i don't know what it's called in hindi it has a cool name it is called black soldier fly right it has, it has a very cool yeah. name right why why mess it up <laughs> uh, calling calling it a tidda right <laughs> so ultimately yeah it's it's native to india it's actually native to most of the tropical belt across the world the history is basically from mexico or texas in us but it has spread across the world now so like our starting cultures were from bangalore right there there are evidences like where people have sourced it from a compost pile in roorkee as well or elsewhere in india so but yet like it's still in the very beginning of in the research phase it's still in the very uh, initial stage when it comes to black soldier flies interesting could be a nice tagline black soldier fly fighting waste since 14 million years <laughs> something why not why not <laughs> essentially is your animal feed then working out to be cheaper than the regular animal feed or let's say feed built around soya etc depends so like our ingredients would be priced at the similar prices it also depends on the cost benefit analysis that you get from the ingredients right now say for example uh, i'll just take random numbers here so there is a product a which gives you x benefit now if there is a product b which gives you 1.2x benefit it need not be priced at the same level right yeah the the, the profit has to be distributed amongst the entire value chain that that is what our product does so like indians by default concentrate on whether the product is cheaper or not right we should be more focused on productivity now and that is going to help us lead that growth we have like tremendous amounts of arable land with us like huge amounts of potable water that we can use the problem is our farms are inefficient and that is because like we have that sasta hai kya mentality we don't look at quality per price it has to be a numerator by denominator right so if the quality is much more and at the right price 
it can be much more beneficial than like using cheaper products which is not giving you quality right so like we by default are conditioned in a way that like we only look at the pricing of a product and not the value of the product and that that has to change i displayed that behavior <laughs> right <now. laughs> okay yeah tanya ankit uh, speaking of productivity in terms of land usage right to grow um, plant feed for animals versus animal feed what would be a rough ratio of these two so if you compare it with soya bean we use uh, 200 times lesser land for the same amount of protein and 170 times lesser water and that too we are using non arable land wow that's amazing so it's basically right? yeah. zero land yeah. right uh, if you look at it from that perspective okay so for the same amount of protein and then uh, what happens so the product that you make it needs to be mixed with actual food for consumption by the animals right i mean you you're making the protein content of it right and it needs to be mixed so what the feed manufacturers normally do is they'll procure 10 to 15 ingredients mix it in the right proportion and create a compound feed a pellet out of it it's very similar to what you see in aquarium feeds right the red yellow green beads red yellow green is basically to attract you as a customer but it's normally a maize color or a cream color bead right depending on the size of the fish or the shrimps can either be a 1 mm or 2 mm or 3 mm so it changes right and ultimately we are supplying the protein ingredient there and that too we don't promote uh, the use of entirely our protein what we are stating is you mix it up right whatever works the best for a particular animal that you are targeting you try to give it a balanced diet right and ultimately the amino acids the the other quality the other biomolecules which is coming in from insect protein can be optimized in the diet of a particular animal at a particular life stage and uh, that that is what we are promoting right. so um, ankit uh, loopworm has won uh, multiple awards from central and state governments and private foundations as well including uh, what i was reading of you in waste management how are you contributing to the waste management sector with what you are doing so to give you rough numbers uh, 20 kgs of wet waste which has like 70 to 80% water content in it gets us to 1 kg of protein powder dry protein powder so for every kg of protein powder we produce 20 kgs of wet waste goes away right and if you look at the emission like based on research papers it's not our number 1 kg or say a 1 ton of food waste basically leads to 2.5 tons of co2 equivalent emissions right so it's it's again a 2.5 times factor there so like 1 kg of our protein powder basically helps offset 50 kgs of like carbon dioxide equivalent from the nature so this is basically the ghg comparison that i get put in and we are now setting up a factory of uh, 500 tons a month so like that that is the amount of impact that we are targeting it would be in phases we are not going to start our factory at like full capacity directly uh, it will take time but uh, we are setting it up and we are targeting 500 tons a month so 500 tons a month uh, like if you look at it leads to huge savings in greenhouse gas emissions uh, from that perspective and that that is what uh, we are targeting and with uh, you know the entire production uh, mechanism overall that would be footprint that you would have that would have a net negative impact yes definitely like we can like go beyond that as well by using solar right so like one of the things that we have as a contributor towards uh, emissions is the electricity that we use right and that we can easily offset by using renewable sources of energy right and that that can be done very easily our boiler is currently being made equipped to use bio cng 
so it, it can be run on refined biogas so wherever we find an opportunity and it's economically feasible at the end of the day we are running a business right like we take giant strides there to use that opportunity to make those changes so that we can use a more sustainable alternative we are not using fuel wood to run our boilers right it's it's unsustainable it's the cheapest everybody knows it right but ultimately like we could afford a bio cng and that is where we are at currently so it has to make sense economically because ultimately say for example you do everything you can to just solve 10 kgs of waste not creating an impact it has to be 10000 kgs of waste to create an impact or even more right uh, to create an impact and that is where the economic feasibility should be considered hand in hand with sustainability which is sometimes like not looked at from the same lens right it has to be hand in hand uh, so that like it goes to a scale otherwise it would just be dependent on government money or foundation money or some contributor to your cause uh, but it's not scalable then no, that's a great point ankit we believe that any sustainable solution has to be affordable as well otherwise correct you can only feel good about it ankit is there anything you would like to tell us and the listeners of this podcast yeah yeah so i can i can tell you just one thing it would be just a small summary of what we were talking about right so if you look at sustainability from a definition standpoint right often like most of us whenever we hear sustainability so what we think is something related to the environment right but sustainability by definition is a way to ensure that your future generations enjoy the same thing or can use the same thing with the same independence that you are using it right and it's it's a very broad based definition right and we don't see it that way so if something is sustainable it is sustainable from all angles it is scalable it is affordable it is good for the environment and like so it is going to stay till your next generation comes in so we we need to actually look at sustainability from that angle and then we would be able to come up with better solutions to ensure sustainability right sustainability is actually a very good business case because you are ensuring survival through those processes right how can you create a business that would survive for 100 years and that is what sustainability truly in essence is similarly if you look at waste right waste by definition is something for which you have not found a value of the moment you find a value of it it is no longer a waste it is actually a by product which you can sell in the market right and if you come to think of it from that angle there's something called process integration which is taught in chemical engineering where you basically link processes so that you can avoid wastage so a process wastage becomes a raw material for the next process and that is what a process integration is and process integration can be done across industries within an industry right within our systems like you would have seen our moms doing process integration at home right just to give you an example the moment she makes paneer at home right the paneer water which gets left out she would mix it in the atta dough which she is using or she, or she'll use it in the sabji that she is going to make now that paneer water is basically whey that we get in the market right and we are willing to pay 2000 bucks for a kg of whey protein there but that is a basic process integration principle that she is using at home and like if you come to think of solutions if you have identified a problem like you need to think of it very holistically especially in the waste management and the sustainability space or climate tech right that holistic thinking is going to like help anyone coming into solutions for like targeting 
such kind of problem statements we love your passion for you know the sustainability or the business you are building and for waste utilization or resource utilization more than waste utilization so thanks a lot it has been a great session and we we learned a lot from you today and i hope everybody who listens to the podcast feels the same uh, energy that with which you spoke today and conviction about black soldier flies and uh, you know all kinds of insects and how they can help us achieve our protein security thank you so much thank you thank you kinshuk thank you for having me thank you tanya thank you ankit it was a great session thank you thank you for the positive responses feedbacks and please continue writing to us we will see you again soon with something very engaging and very entertaining please keep supporting us with all the love thank you